Okay, welcome back. As we just saw in our previous video, Paul has written a fairly strong, at times scathing, yet loving letter of correction rebuke to this young church in the city of Corinth. And a question at the end of the letter is, okay, well, how was it received? <laughs> Did they read it, fully realize how wrong they were, and just change their ways? Thank you so much, Paul. You're awesome. Well, not so much. In fact, Paul had to write again, and possibly, we're not quite sure, as many as three or four times to continue to interact, argue, challenge them a little bit. And this letter that we call 2 Corinthians was likely two separate letters. Uh, many scholars think that the first nine chapters were a letter, and then 10 through 13 were probably a later letter. And both of them, though, Paul continues to deal with this kind of difficult group of young Christians living in the city of Corinth who are struggling to live as the redeemed and restored people God has called them in Christ. They're struggling to you know, choose humility and love and, and make good decisions about things. And in this case specifically, they seem to be struggling with whether or not they should even listen to Paul in general. So uh, the background of the letter is very similar, as we've already seen, written to the same church in Corinth. Uh, what we see of 2 Corinthians is probably maybe a couple years now later since the first letter, but again, there were probably other ones. The church has continued to struggle, and it appears that they've been listening to other voices. Other voices can be kind of leading them astray or challenging Paul. Oh, I don't want to listen to Paul. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Listen to us. And Paul is writing to address them yet again. However, whereas Paul wrote the first letter after hearing reports from uh, some servants of a woman named Chloe, now, a few years later, he's received more reports from his friend Titus, who we'll see later in the scriptures. And Paul is actually planning to go to Corinth in person again for the second time, both to collect money for the poor, which is part of his ministry, but also to keep challenging them face-to-face -face in some of these issues. So when you're reading 2 Corinthians, it can be pretty challenging to understand. This is actually kind of a tough book. Uh, what is Paul talking about? Uh, one scholar I really enjoy says, reading 2 Corinthians can feel a bit like turning on a complicated movie halfway through and wrestling to figure out what the characters are talking about. You're like, wait, wait, who are you? And what? why are you doing that? Ever done that? Where you're like, sometimes I'll walk into a room, my, my wife is watching something and I try to pick up, I'm like, wait, what's happening? That kind of feels like 2 Corinthians a bit. You definitely want to read 1 Corinthians first, but even then it's a little bit confusing. So contrary to what you might think, uh, 2 Corinthians is not a continuation of the first letter. It's not like to be continued. Uh, we talked about earlier in this course that when you're reading the book of Luke, basically as soon as it ends, you pick up an ax and you keep going. First and 2 Corinthians don't quite work that way. Uh, he's not just picking up where he left off, emphasizing the same issues. It's a different tone. It's a different subjects. And this letter, in many ways, it addresses very different issues. And unfortunately for the average reader, <laughs> it's it's written for a specific reason to specific people who understood the context. They knew why Paul was writing. And uh, Paul doesn't need to offer them a bunch of backstory or explanation. So you can kind of be like, wait, what's going on here? But hey, guess what? Uh, that's what uh, that's what this is for. Uh, one of the reasons that we do things like this is to kind of give you some of that. So a video like this, as you listen and, and follow through, can give you some context to help you understand what's going on in 2 Corinthians as Paul is writing this letter. So first... Like I said, it can be difficult because, again, these two letters are probably not the only ones he wrote. Uh, it appears there, there likely was a letter before 1 Corinthians. Remember I said it, it looks like they had already corresponded about some issues and Paul is now responding again. 
And there definitely appear to have been some correspondence between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. So some other stuff happened between these letters. We just don't have copies of them. And again, it's likely that these were actually two different letters that were put together. And a lot's changed between these letters, uh, including the relationship that Paul has with these people appears to have kind of regressed. It seems like it's gotten worse. Uh, And we can see this through Paul's mention of his travels. So in the first letter, he ends by saying he's going to come and visit them and take up a collection. And he has other places to visit first. But now here in the second letter, we find out he changed his plans, went straight to them. And there's been some kind of serious encounter uh, that appears to have gotten ugly. And Paul left sooner than expected. And so there's this question of, you know, can we trust Paul? You know, do we like him? Do we want to listen to him? Is he somebody that we should trust? And he says now he wants to return to get the collection. He's sending Titus with the letter, which we think was probably chapters one through nine, hoping to bring some healing. Hey guys, let's 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 patch this up. Let's not fight each other. Titus comes back to Paul, tells him things are not good. And so Paul then probably writes chapters 10 through 13, this time with a big focus on false prophets who pervert the gospel. Again, most likely because other leaders of the church were telling them, Paul, don't listen to Paul, don't, you know, whatever. And Paul had a strong message. He was really challenging to them. So you can imagine who wants to listen to the guy that's really challenging you and and giving you a hard teaching. You want to listen to the guys that say nice things to you and tell you you're doing fine. You don't need to change anything about your life. We don't like Paul. He's he's so heavy handed. Uh, And so this is the tension. Do, should we pay attention to Paul? Now, just real quick, let me just say this. It's funny because when you and I, you know, we're, you're, you're following through with me as we study the entire Bible, like the New Testament, you just take for granted that the Apostle Paul, right? The Apostle Paul, he wrote so much of it. Well, these people <laughs> didn't know, they didn't see Paul the way that you and I do. We just accept that Paul was absolutely an apostle. At this point in history, you had Christians that were like, Paul, we don't know if we like Paul. Who's Paul? Like, should we, we don't know if we like this guy. Is he even real? Should we trust him? So Paul is having to not just teach and explain and exhort things about the gospel. He's also having to defend himself. Like, the, no, listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. Don't listen to those people. So really, the only connection between these two letters uh, is the obvious tension that exists between Paul and the city of Corinth and the Christians there. He's frustrated they continue to fall into sin, wrong beliefs, and that they're not accepting his authority and doing what he tells them. What he, this is what you should do. Trust me. Uh, we don't want to follow you, Paul. This makes the letter very personal, more so than any of his other letters. There's a sense of almost hurt. There's a frustration. There's like, come on, you guys, trust me on this. We hear his frustration, his pain, working with these people that he cares about. He loves them, but his writing can at times be hard to follow. It's it's not a nice, logically flowing argument defending a thesis statement like Romans. It's more uh, two personal letters from a frustrated spiritual father to those he loves and wants to help, but he, they, they won't let him help them because they don't even trust him as a source of help. They don't think he's the right person to be leading and teaching them in some ways. So there's frustration, there's pain, and sometimes it really comes out strong in this letter. So let's walk through it briefly. And, you know, as we said, Paul wants to say to these people, um, some important things, not just about the gospel, but even about himself. And we'll see that he wants to defend himself, but in doing so, teach them something that they need to keep in mind. We saw a bit in 1 Corinthians. Um, but I think a lot of this stuff is still important for us today as well. So he opens in chapter one with a greeting. 
And his greeting this time starts by pointing out his suffering and difficulty in preaching the gospel. And this will be important as we unpack the letter more. Not that the theme is suffering per se. We'll see other letters as we continue our study of the New Testament together where suffering and persecution is like the main idea. Rather, it's talking about Paul as a spiritual father and a leader. He doesn't come to them with, uh, look how smart I am, look how great I am, everybody, listen to me. He actually comes to them by, just so you know, this has really been kicking my butt. Like this, I, I've really suffered to bring you this message. And there's an important element of leadership for Paul, of what it means to, to even be a, a, an apostle um, and somebody that the church should listen to, um, being someone who's lived a life of difficulty and suffering. So uh, he then talks about his change of plans, how he goes on to discuss why he had to change, and he sent a letter instead of visiting them. And this explanation, again, is important. It might seem like a random thing, but for Paul, he wants them to understand that he's a person of his word, but he's doing what God tells him to do. Like, oh, we can't trust Paul. He told us he was coming. Like, no, no, listen, I, you can trust me. The only reason I didn't come is because I am following God and he told me to do something else. Like, I'm not living my life doing what I want to do. I'm doing what he tells me to do. Um, and, and that sort of sets the, before we move forward, just so you, you need to understand who I am and what I'm doing, my motive in all of this. I've been suffering for this. I, I've been trying to be obedient to God, whatever he tells me. And I'm sorry I couldn't make it, but it wasn't because I'm not trustworthy or whatever. It's because God has called me to something. Well, what has God called me to? Well, chapters 2 through 7 are the most theological section of, of, his, of this letter. He talks about being ministers of this new covenant, this new thing that's happening with God. And it, it can be really deep. And this, this part can, can kind of lose you. It gets kind of like, where are you going here, Paul? But let me give you kind of a breakdown. Um, he, Paul is summarizing why he's doing what he's doing. Paul is essentially giving you his motive why and why he wants them to accept him as a true apostle and listen to him because that's really where we're going. Remember, the point of this letter, Paul is trying to convince them that he is a true apostle. He's not false. He's not fake. They should listen to him and trust him. And so he starts with this big idea of uh, his defending his ministry to a group of people who didn't want to listen to him. So how does he do it? Well, it's interesting. He starts by bringing up the story of Exodus and how when Moses would go to the tabernacle, his face would shine only for a little while and Moses would put a veil on his face so the people wouldn't see the glory had passed. But now he says, how amazing is it the glory never passes. The spirit of God that Moses only had for a brief time is now permanently transforming all of us. We are all carriers of God's presence which itself says something important, right? It says, okay, before we get into arguments about who is a good leader, who's a bad leader, remember, we are all carriers of God's presence. This is good news worth living for. The very fact that something amazing and incredible has happened to humanity is worth giving your life to. It's worth spreading the message and doing whatever you can do to get it out there, which is what Paul is doing. He wants to stress to them, he doesn't see himself as anything special, He's not out for money or anything. He's just a minister, a messenger of this amazing newfound glory that they have access to. And it's all about Jesus. It's all about his great glory that they've all found in the spirit. Not any particular person or teacher. God's amazing, glorious spirit has been poured out into these earthen vessels. Now just, just think about that for a second. Paul is defending himself. He's trying to get them to see that he is a true apostle. He doesn't do it 
by giving you a resume of all of his accomplishments. He doesn't do it by talking about how great he is or how many Instagram followers he has or how many books he's written or whatever. Instead, he does it by talking about the greatness of Jesus and the spirit of God being poured out on all humanity. And now he's really not that important. <laughs> he's really nothing special. He's just given his life to this great thing that makes all of us better. Uh, so for Paul, it means we all carry the message and, and God himself, wherever we go, and that we have become the righteousness of God. Uh, and this is the way that God is bringing about restoration of all creation through us, through you, through me. And this is what Paul is all about and what he hopes that they will be about. He's taking the focus off of himself and putting it on Jesus and putting it on the ministry of the work of the cross, bringing hope and healing to the world. And in doing so, he's building a case for himself. That's why, right? This is why. Uh, what Christ has done, reconciling us back to God. This is what Paul has given his life to. This is why Paul is doing this. The reason I'm doing any of this is because of what God is doing in and through all of us together. We're all Christ's ambassadors. None of us are the king ourselves. We're just mess I'm just a messenger. I'm just sharing this great thing. That's why I'm doing this. This is why Paul says I suffer. This is why I'm persecuted because of who Christ is and what he's doing, not for gain or personal glory or so everyone will think I'm so great. For Paul, and here it is, a true apostle, someone worthy of listening to and being influenced by, is someone who's willing to suffer for it and make Jesus greater than themselves, which is how he's starting his whole letter. He's defending his, himself and his ministry to them, trying to show and convince them they should be listening to him and not others because he's only pointing them to Christ. He's not the latest fashionable, cool, hip preacher. He's just a guy pointing everyone to Jesus, the way of the cross, which is suffering and difficulty. And that is the most important thing on his resume. Remember again where all this is coming from. He's now writing probably the fourth time to a church that he started that doesn't want to listen to him or trust him because he can be heavy-handed and tell them to stop sinning. They don't want to. He needs to establish his authority and leadership. But for him, that only happens through the cross and humility, which if you remember when we went through 1 Corinthians, that was his whole point. The whole point of the cross is calling us to a different kind of life, a life of loving others, of laying our lives down. And so Paul is saying, look, just so you know, everything I told you to do in my last letter, I've been living that. The reason you should trust me is not because I'm a great speaker or anything like that or I'm so powerful, whatever. The reason you should trust me is because I've been living this life of laying my life down for you in order to help you, not to get anything out of myself, but just because it's good news. And that's powerful, right? Paul is saying that's, he's saying about himself, he's saying that's what you should look for in your leaders. So see it in me. Now in chapters eight and nine, he then goes back to the collection for the poor, um, he, he wants money from them in order to minister to the poor. And, and for Paul, this is another sign of true apostleship, generosity and love for the other churches. He's not just trying to get himself rich. He's not just trying to tell them. He wants them to be self-sacrificial for others and build unity and community. Um, some come to them wanting money for themselves. Paul's coming asking money for other churches. For Paul, if we are truly God's righteousness— it will require us to live sacrificially and generously. He's calling them to a different kind of life because Jesus called us to a different kind of life. And this is the message of the cross our king carried. There's, there's some great stuff in this section about the importance of giving for Christians. And I just encourage you as you're, as you're studying this with me together, make sure you're reading. Slow down a little bit on chapters 8 and 9 and just see what Paul is talking about with generosity of this church. Now, that appears to be the end of the first letter he sent. And it looks like chapters 10 through 13 were probably a second letter that came later. 
um, probably his fifth letter, we think, where Paul wrote after Titus took the first half with them uh, when going to collect the money. Here we see Titus came back with bad news uh, for Paul that he needs to respond rather forcibly. So these chapters get pretty heavy. Apparently, there were some preachers in Corinth who were actually convincing the people that Paul, again, should not be trusted or listened to. He wasn't really an apostle. Don't give that guy money. Don't listen to him. He's, he's a charlatan. He's fake. Which, again, sounds strange. They're like, Paul, he wrote, again, this is, this is the 50s. This is the first 20 years of Christianity. And Paul responds strongly to the accusations leveled against him. The first being that one of the accusations, Paul is a very different person uh, when he's in person versus when he writes. So like, oh, Paul, you write so strongly, but when you're in person, you're kind of meek and whatever. Apparently, he wasn't that impressive of a speaker. And this would explain why many turned away from him towards others, like Apollos and others who they said were more eloquent or sounded more wise, probably more trained in rhetoric and public speaking. But we also see that others were coming in and kind of taking over where Paul originally planted. Uh, who were these people? Well, Briefly, there was definitely a rise of what we call itinerant preachers. The word itinerant means you travel from place to place. You're not located. Like today, we might have a pastor who, you're a pastor of this church and this community, you work there. But these were people who'd sort of just bounce around from place to place. And they would preach for money. So I will come and I'll preach at your church and then you pay me. Oftentimes, in order to make sure you wanted me to come, you had to put on a great show. You had to be highly skilled, you know, move people's emotions, all that kind of stuff but not necessarily somebody who lived any kind of godly life or had a true message. Do you even know anything about an itinerant preacher? Do you know if they actually have character? Do you know if they actually live their life a certain way? Are they just some stranger who just came into town and talks really well? Um, and so along with this, uh, many of the Jewish people who would come to the Gentile churches were trying to convince them that Paul was wrong because, as we saw in Romans and we'll see again in Galatians, they thought Paul was wrong for not forcing these Gentiles to become Jewish and follow the Jewish law. So you had both of these things happening, and they're both pushing against Paul. So you had people who didn't like Paul's approach, they thought he was too strong or whatever, and you had Jews who didn't like Paul's message. And some of them were even bringing a complete false gospel, perverting the truth. Uh, yeah, they were great, eloquent speakers, um, but some of them didn't even understand the truth of the message. And so here's Paul traveling around for no pay. He's an itinerant preacher, but he's not taking any money from it. He's being persecuted. He's not getting rich off this. He's getting beaten for this. He's giving up his life to preach the gospel while others are just raking in money and comfortably going about being rock star preachers. <laughs> it's funny how things have changed. Sorry. Uh, but because he isn't as eloquent or wise according to the modern Greek standards of the day, they're kind of shunning him and turning other people. So he responds to these super apostles, in quote, by talking about how he worked for free and humbled himself rather than take their money and revel in prestige and personal glory. Again, for Paul, it was always the wisdom of the cross. He was flogged, beaten, shipwrecked, left for dead, robbed, starved, and in all that, he still loves them and wants to continue to serve them. Paul is putting forward his resume. This entire letter, in a sense, is Paul putting forward his resume, but it doesn't look like the other resumes of the day. It's not full of, well, I took this business to this and I made this much money and I was the manager. He said, no, my resume is, is basically suffering and persecution and hardship and I'm not that great. I'm not that important um, because the truth is, what I'm here to tell you is that true wisdom, true power in God's kingdom, true greatness in God's kingdom 
the kind of resume that shines in heaven is found in weakness, in service, in sacrificial love. It is found, true greatness is found at the cross. And Paul is saying, the reason you should trust me is not because I'm a great speaker, not because I have it all together, not because I come into town and I'm a great show. The reason you should trust me is because I've lived my life following the cross. And it's the only true mark of a disciple um, or an apostle that you should follow. And, and I think a massively important message for all of us to hear right at this point in our lives. Like, what, is, what does it mean to be great in the kingdom of God? What, what should we look for in our leaders? You know, we live in a world, especially in the American West, where, uh, you know, being a Christian leader, being a pastor can make you rich and famous, and you can get millions of followers on social media and book deals. And it's like, what are we actually looking for in men and women who lead us and guide us? What are we looking for in ourselves? And Paul is saying the ultimate mark of a true great leader in God's kingdom is someone who lays their life down like Jesus. Um, that success, and those are the people that you should trust. So Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, this back and forth between Paul and this ancient church, I think has so much to say to our world today about what it means to, to understand greatness in the church, to understand success in God's economy. Uh, so make sure as we're, again, I, I know some of you are probably just kind of following these videos. It's great. Listen to them. But I really encourage you to take some time and just sit through and read 2 Corinthians and ask yourself the question of what is God saying to the church even today? Uh, we don't live in Corinth in the first century, but there's still so much truth about what we're looking for and considering goodness and greatness. Would we accept Paul today? Or do we think, oh, that guy, isn't, he's not great. He's, he's, he doesn't even preach very well. I've seen so much better on, on, on YouTube. Um, Paul is calling us something different. So that's the letter to 2 Corinthians. Uh, I hope it's beneficial. And I hope you take some time to read it. And we will continue on reading uh, and studying more of Paul's letters to the ancient churches in our future upcoming videos. Thanks, everyone.